one of the big things is just that it's a data trust problem. And to be fair, a lot of the time, the reason we have data trust issues is because we don't have quality data. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a roundtable discussion covering a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Your hosts, Jason Thompson, John Moran, Jen Coons, and myself, Jim Driscoll, all live in different areas of the world, but work together in the same company. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Everyone's getting over colds, getting colds. It's that time Rejoicing of year. in my house that that we all don't have pneumonia. That <laughs> despite like every fifth grader at my son's school having it, um, he did not manage to give it to any of us, and he recovered quickly. So nice. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a blessing and curse, right? Because um, I I don't know, maybe you guys know, but there's there's some kind of like large number of average colds that kids get once they start going to like preschool or oh yeah or elementary, right? It's like it's something like six or eight or maybe even more a a year um, that they average, which is insane. Um, But I guess on the on the bad side, they bring it home. And expose yeah. everybody else, but but I think on the the good side it exposes them. Oh yeah, um, yeah. They're built. They're building their immunity, right? Well, and we've noticed like Camille doesn't get sick half as often as Daniel. And we were talking about like I wonder how much of that is just kind of the birth order thing. If he's brought home just enough germs mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to build up her immunity some or something, but um, yeah, yeah. And um, kids are and kids are just to look forward to. You do, and 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 kids are just gross. They're just. They're just oh, yeah. not. They're just not very good at like the uh, the personal hygiene. So yeah. at least at least mine aren't. They're so like, oh my gosh, don't put that in your mouth. Don't rub that there. I don't know where your hands have been. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so and there you, think you go. That gets better when they're not toddlers. But like I no. yeah no not really. No. Yeah, we we have the twenty week appointment this afternoon. Yay! So we're we're both excited for that. Super exciting. That is super exciting. Awesome. All right. So our topic for today, I thought this would be a good one because we're coming to the close of the year. Um, and this is something that that constantly comes around. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of us doesn't get this question early, early next year, once we get back and everything's settled from the holidays. Um, and it, it comes in one form or another, and it happens a couple times a year, but it's, it's something along the lines of, I'm looking at system A and I'm looking at system B, and this particular metric doesn't match exactly. Um, now, granted, when you're going through an implementation to validate that your data collection is working, you definitely need to compare it to another system. For example, if we're working with an e-commerce client and we're implementing analytics, we're going to check metrics like revenue orders units against the backend system. Um, That being said, we know that they never match exactly. And there's multiple reasons why, and it depends a lot about about, the client setup and their type of business. Um, But if you're not careful, 
that validation can very quickly spiral out of control, especially if you have the wrong audience involved. Because again, what happens is, is they lose sight of what the goal is with the validation. Again, if we go back to that e-commerce example, if you see that you know revenue is off in your implementation by 50%, you've got a problem you need to figure out. If it's off by 5% or maybe even 10%, depending upon certain cases, that you could say, okay, we're, we're accurate. And that 10%, um, you know, that, 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 that gap trends. But again, if you have the wrong people involved, they're going to focus on the, well, there's a gap there and we need to fix it. And there may not necessarily be a fix there. That may be accurate. So really want to spend some time talking about this one. Cause again, this is something we get all the time, but before we dig into the details, I really want to start off with two questions. What is your typical reaction when a client brings this up? And they, they, they want to do some form of reconciliation. And based on your experience, what are some of the reasons that two or more systems are not going to net exactly to the same number? Do you, uh, do you remember in Dumb and Dumber, um, one of the opening scenes when uh, Jim Carrey has like, he's, he's coming back um, from somewhere and I think he's like, lost his job or something and he opens up the apartment door and like throws himself on the floor vaguely yeah. i haven't yeah. seen the movie in ages yeah, oh you guys time. it's been yeah. ages. i want to say that was filmed gonna, at provo too that was the rumor that that it, like the apartment scene it, oh it's all of that or yeah yeah no 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 it's it's no rumor <laughs> there were there were um several scenes that were filmed in utah in fact i went to high school uh, with a girl who was one of the um, one of the ladies in the uh, salon that's work, you know, when they're working on their toes and like giving them yeah. a makeover. Yeah, uh, I went to school with one of the girls that was playing one of those one of those parts. So yeah, there was quite a few scenes filmed uh, filmed in Utah. Anyway, he he's like he's like all is lost, like, and he's just like I'm, I'm giving up, and he like throws himself on the floor. Um, it's hard for me not to have that initial reaction, but I, I've gotten better over the years uh, and I'm going to have to go find the clip of it so I can share it now. Um, I, I uh, But I've gotten a little better over the years of not exposing that to the to the clients because it, it is a very real concern and and, and, and I'll, I will say a very valid concern. We're, we're talking about critical data that the business is hopefully wanting to use to make very informed decisions about where they spend their money. And we're talking sometimes millions of dollars in, if not, you know, more in marketing spend. And so they want to make sure that that they have valid data that they're making those decisions on. So, so I get it. Um, on the other hand, um, I very, very clearly remember my second client at Omniture in 2004, this was the start of that engagement. And I was as green as you could be as a consultant, as my knowledge of Omniture. And I got assigned this, this client that they were having a full-on meltdown that orders did not match the orders in their, their back-end system. They were a retail client. They sold automotive parts. And it was such a stressful situation for me to get thrown into as my first real client that I would own by myself. And that was my very first exposure to it. And here we are almost what 2019 and we're still having this conversation. And so that's kind of the me throwing myself on the floor is what, what, what has got us to this point where this is still the case. So 
Is there a discussion on the vendor side that the vendors haven't taken enough ownership of this issue? Is there a discussion on, well, this is just natural because the industry is is growing and the people that are asking this question are new to it. it just, but it, it still boggles my mind that my first exposure was 2004. It's now t- 2019. And this is still a really, really hot topic of conversation. Yeah, I was about to, I was about to ask if it was a, a sporting goods client because I had a very similar experience very early on and they were looking at their web analytics implementation which was just recently done comparing it to their back-end tool and the data was off and no matter how we tried to explain that the two will differ one common thing and this is common with most retail clients is that the um, the back-end system is aware of fraud cancel- cancellations uh, order cancellations, returns. So the revenue in there is updated to reflect that information where your web analytics system is is not. And no matter how much we tried to explain to them, they, 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 they didn't want to accept it. They wanted the both of them to net to zero. They wanted them to be exactly the same. So then we were like, okay, we can add or you know, we can work with, it was Omniture at the time, to have you know fraud information, fraud cancellations, returns that information sent in, and the the the, the system updated to to reflect that. But the problem is, is you know it, it would have required a massive project on the Omniture side, and when they got the the cost back, instead of you know walking away with an understanding that there was a gap and there's a valid reason why, they were basically throwing their hands up that okay nothing works. And they went to this one extreme. And that's why I'm like, whenever I hear this come up, it's like, need to kind of find a way to properly set expectations because I've seen this truly, truly spiral. Well, and I think for me, there's there's so many different elements of this that one of the big things is just that it's a data trust problem. And to be fair, a lot of the time, the reason we have data trust issues is because we don't have quality data. <laughs> So while if somebody says, hey, my orders in GA aren't matching my orders in Adobe Analytics, um, my first reaction is to say, of course they're not. And, you know, we all, uh, all the consultants and all the folks who do this all the time just kind of laugh like, yeah, they're never going to match. Get over it. But a lot of the time there is actually a data problem. Um, And sometimes it's a problem that's not noticed until two different systems are compared to each other. So it's it's frustrating because yes, the expectation is they're never gonna match and people need to have that expectation set correctly. But um, we're also gonna continue having these problems so long as the industry continues to have major data quality problems. Um, and you know, it's not always a, a, what false alarm to say that the two systems aren't matching. Um, yeah, in in fact, it, it, it happens a lot. You're you're right, and um, I I was recently, and when I say recently, within the last couple of years, working with a client that um, they felt something was off, but um, didn't really dive into it. And it wasn't until we dove into it that we found some some massive issues with with the way that they were tracking orders and revenues. And it was it was it was absolutely wrong. And so I I you know. It's it's definitely something that you need to put time into. You need to validate, um, but it's it's a little bit of art and a little bit of science. In that, 
once you've kind of run through all the possible scenarios, you you still can get to a point where it's never going to match exactly. Right. And so I think that's where you need to have an upfront conversation with the business um, and say, okay, what, what do we want as an outcome? And what I've always talked with our clients about is let's set a threshold that you're comfortable with, plus or minus X percent. Let's pick 5%. So as long as we're plus or minus 5% of what your backend system is saying, and we're trending over time in the same direction, then we can make very informed decisions with, with this data. Um, I think it's a really important thing to have that conversation because so many companies look at a web analytics solution, a digital analytics solution as a transactional system. And their expectation going into it is this should 100% capture every transaction on my site. Now we know that's not logical, right? We know that especially now with people more concerned about privacy and opting out and putting things in place to block these types of activities, it's it's just not going to give you what your true ba- true transactional backend system would would capture and that's not it's not a necessarily a bad thing again if you have trending in the right direction and you're within a certain threshold you can still make informed decisions it's where the expectation is perfect match where i i've seen things really go off the rails um and and by that i i mean that companies don't have that conversation up front. Their expectation is a perfect match. And I've seen companies spend years, literally years, going through the exercise of trying to make the systems match 100%. And when that doesn't end up being 100% in the end, which it never, ever will be, they end up putting the blame on the system that they feel is off to the point where they say, we're not going to use it anymore. And it's unfortunate uh, because there's a lot of sunk costs. There's a lot they've put into it. And their expectations are simply out of alignment. Well, and it, it is funny to me how often these questions come up when there is a a bit of a political uh, situation, perhaps, of, well, half the team really likes tool A and the other half really likes tool B. Um, or, you know, we were happily using tool A until our overall org forced us to change to tool B. <laughs> and, and now the numbers are different. And yep. like, it, it's almost like a vindictive or a vindication to be like, ha, huh, see, I told you tool A is better because tool B's numbers are different. Um, yeah. or there's, there's often vendors slash agencies too, that like, if you have a, an agency that you're going to for, SEO, then, um, you know, they often don't really want to open up all of their numbers and give you full visibility. So they will say, you know, hey, we had a X percent conversion rate. And well, that doesn't match what I have in Adobe. Um, But I mean, the uh, SEM, uh, SEO agency has, you know, a vested interest in having that conversion rate be higher. And I'm not saying they're being dishonest necessarily, but that, you know, they, might be viewing their set of data with slightly different requirements that are perhaps a little bit more generous to them. So yeah, that's, I'd like to, I'd like to dive into that, that first piece a little bit more and get your um, experience, Jen, or what you kind of recommend of, as far as how to manage that, because you're, you're absolutely right. And I've kind of labeled it the incumbent advantage in that <laughs> yeah. the incumbent is, is a hundred percent right. And the new player is always at fault. Um, and and I've seen it in multiple instances. And I've even challenged companies and I've said, okay, I understand what you're saying that incumbent is right, but have you 
have you really looked critically about how incumbent A is tracking? Yeah. And the answer usually is no. Um, and and I and I've asked the question. Okay, well, have you gone through this exercise and aligned an incumbent with your backend system? Well, not really, but it just feels right. Um, so you know, what do you do in situations like that where there is such a strong advantage to the incumbent and they haven't vetted it as strong as the new player and you have to overcome that. Well, and then, and that is a huge source of frustration for me because uh, I'm going to keep on using GA versus Adobe because that's the one that I hear all the time. Um, I can't speak to the Adobe implementation if I've come in to work with GA and I can't speak to the GA implementation if I come in to work with Adobe. So, um, you know, I, I might be having to defend against an, an unknown <laughs> um, quantity, you know, the, the unknown in, incumbent where I can't speak to the quality of it. So yeah, you have to be just be really, really careful um, because sometimes, you know, feelings run strong over tool preferences and, and stuff. Um, but it really comes down to setting expectations though. Um, a lot of the time though, I will say it's not just a matter of, hey, our revenue looks different, um, which hopefully would be pretty straightforward knowing how to compare apples to apples, but you have to come back with questions like, okay, well, what date range are you looking at? Um, and do you know that, you know, the start and end of day are the same in both systems? And you have to be careful going down this line because it does kind of feed into the, well, maybe there is an explanation and um, we can explain away 100% of the discrepancy, which we never will be able to. But um, so, yeah, you don't want people to think that you're, you're going to help them troubleshoot it to the point that you're going to get that 100% everything explained and and or the same. But all the same, um, you know, I, I had a client moving from GA to Adobe, uh, very unwillingly moving from GA to Adobe because their uh, overall parent org forced it on them, sort of. And they came back after validating a bunch of the reports with questions like, hey, uh, search volumes between GA and Adobe are wildly different. Like, Adobe might say 300 in a week and Google's saying 4,000. Um, and, uh, you know, it turns out when we dive into it, it uh, in Google searches for the same term within a single visit are deduplicated. Um, so if I search for a red ball and then, you know, go look at a red ball page and then, you know, look at other things and then want to get back to that red ball page and search for it again um, in Google, that's deduplicated. In Adobe, both of those searches would count. Um, and, you know, we got all the way down to the visit level, looking at a visitor and being like, oh, yeah, they are just researching for the same thing 10 times over in a single visit. Um, and that that explains the wild discrepancy. Uh, so a lot of the time you might be able to explain it to a degree, but then in doing so, are you not indulging this uh, desire to have everything explained and match up. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think the matching up part is is the problematic part. Now, if we're talking about something like orders or revenues, maybe it's a different discussion. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm much more in the camp of as an analyst, I want to be able to explain my conclusions. And mm -hmm. the I think the trap is in trying to get systems to match up to each other.
And and by that I mean you, you bring it you bring up a really great use case, and I think there's lots of use cases like that where the systems just record differently, and it's not a right or a wrong. Um, although I think that there's a lost opportunity if someone's researching over and over again and we're not capturing that, I think we are losing visibility into the true user experience. So I would say maybe it is a right versus wrong, but regardless, there's just different ways of processing and collecting data. And it's where you try to force one system to be more like the other, you end up creating all sorts of problems. You go outside of the expected norms for that platform. You create hacks that are difficult to maintain um, for someone that's coming in and is not, you know, is expecting it to work one way and, and it's working another way and you haven't documented introduces a whole new set of problems. So I'm, I'm much more strongly in the camp of being able to explain those differences if that's an important part of my analysis or explain why the numbers look the way they they look when I'm presenting my results. And that would honestly be the case in, and I can't remember if you said it was GA, I think you said it was GA that was deduplicating du- those. Even if we didn't um, deploy Omniture, Adobe, Snowplow, whatever you want to call your next iteration of the platform you're deploying, I still think it's critically important to understand how that works. And so while we're talking about comparing metrics, I I also think that we're talking about, well, what should the expectation of the analyst be? Because if I'm just, if I'm just running GA, um, I shouldn't leave it as, you know, X number of searches happen. What I should be able, what I should say in my analysis is X number of searches happen, but I want to put a caveat on, on it on as that if, you know, they they search for this multiple times, we're not accounting for that. You know, we need to be really, really clear in what we're collecting and what that means to, to the analysis. And it that obviously comes up a lot when we're comparing metrics, um, but it's not necessarily constrained to that. So I, I think you bring up a really good point. One of the um, analogies that I've used, and, and maybe this isn't right, but one that has worked for me is that there, there has to be some kind of balance. And, and I don't want people to take this as, I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't be critical of data. I'm not saying we shouldn't have the most highest quality data that, that we can have. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm also saying that, I'm also not saying that we can't get something out there. And, and by that, I mean, as an analyst, your job is to use the data to help present findings, insights, and recommendations to your business stakeholders. They are your your customers. And the analogy that I've often used, and I may have used this internally, is think that you're running a kitchen and you have diners coming in and you have a really high degree of quality that you want your plates to stand up to before they can go out of the kitchen. I think that's phenomenal. But you also have to balance time. And so you're either going to say, you know what, I'm not going to serve this because it's not good enough, or I'm going to get something out that's good enough. But it's not okay to say, okay, it took me seven hours to prepare this dish because what happens? You go out into the dining hall, into the restaurant, and your customers are gone and you're shaking your head. You're like, well, I don't understand. Like I put together this, this perfect meal. I'm like, yeah, but they were hungry seven hours ago. You, you missed that window of opportunity. So as you're going through this comparing metrics uh, phase and you're wanting things to line up, Absolutely. Get it as perfect as you can. But you also have to balance the fact that you have customers that are waiting for your product. And there's a time sensitivity to that. And if you if it takes you a year, and yes, I've seen companies compare metrics for over a year, 
before they decided to use the platform or not, you know what, your customers are gone, they're going somewhere else. So you have to keep that in mind as you're going through this, this, um, this exercise is that we, we could sit here and like spin on this forever, but that's not solving any problems. The company's paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for people and a platform, and they're not getting any value out of it. So at some point in time, you either have to cut your losses and say, I'm not going to serve this, or you have to say, you know what, we've done our due diligence and this is, this is as good as we can get it. And it still has value. You know, I love when you use um, cooking and restaurant <laughs> analogies. Um, I, I think they, they just set the the perfect visual. So really, really like that. Um, and, and it seems like so far what we've talked about, if, if we really boil everything down, it comes down to to setting expectations on what what the goal is, what the purpose is, and what exactly we're looking for. But again, like in, in my case, I've seen it spiral so many times over the last 10 years. Um, so with my next question, I want to kind of take an extreme approach. So again, we, we, we know going in, we set the, the expectation going in that, hey, there's going to be a gap. The goal is to identify the gap, the reasons for the gap, and then to make sure that once we were set and everything is good, that that, that, that gap maintains. Again, say we know it's going to be a 10% difference. As long as that maintains, give or take, say, 2%, we know everything is solid. You know, have you ever gotten the question of like, well, if they don't match, what's the whole point of this validation? You know, what, what are your thoughts on on something like that, like a, a response like that? So you're quite, let me, let me read this back to you to make sure I'm, I'm understanding what you're, you're asking. So you're, you're saying what should be the course of action if you go back to your stakeholders and say, we've done this validation. They don't match. They're never going to match, but I have an explanation for why. And they don't accept that. Is that what you're asking? Along those lines, or even if the, you haven't done it yet, you're just setting the scope of what you're going to be looking for. And <clears throat> Oh, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, there, there's almost a response of, well, if they're not going to match, if they're not going to net to zero, what's the whole point of this exercise? Yeah. It, it's it, again, you know, with, with the the concept of preventing it from spiraling, you know, you're, you're sometimes you may get an extreme response yeah. like that. Well, I, again, I think Jen mentioned it, and that sh that the most important thing is setting proper expectations, and and that's no different in this case, in that. Um, as part of any good implementation, you should validate your your data, obviously, against itself, against existing data. Uh, as part of that exercise, you need to absolutely set the proper expectations up front. And when it comes to tools um, that are client-side, JavaScript-focused data collection, um, there, there are some known gaps, and maybe we can go into that next. So, Jen, as I'm kind of going through this, maybe you can start thinking about some of the most common um, areas where you see um, differences, whether it's cookie blocking or what have you, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, so to answer your question, Jim, it's, it's really about setting proper expectations. And um, what that looks like is, hey, these numbers most likely aren't going to match. Um, in fact, I don't expect them to, ma to match. And if they did match, I'd be really shocked. And they're not going to match for these reasons. You know, um, 
systems have different way of processing data. Uh, systems have different definitions for for data. Even the most basic data, what is a session versus a visit versus a visitor, different platforms define those in different ways. So even though we try to come up with standards, there, there are simply differences. There's differences in the technology. There's differences in, in how we've chosen to deploy each of the platforms. So because of all of these different variables, the numbers are simply going to be different. And that's okay as long as we're within a, a um, predefined threshold, and as long as the trends stay the same. So if in January we always see a spike of X percent, we would expect to see a similar spike in the new system. And, and that's really what we are looking for. And secondarily, we need to set the expectation that these are behavioral systems. These are meant to capture data in aggregate, and we look for trends in the data to be able to make informed decisions with. And they are not meant to be transactional systems. These systems aren't meant to be a transaction of every single thing that could possibly happen on the site. That's not what these systems are built for. And if you're going in, Mr. Business Owner or Ms. Business Owner, over that expectation, you're, you're going to be dissatisfied. And we've worked with clients where that was the expectation. And, um, you know, I put a little bit of the blame on on the, the vendors for not recognizing that up front. Um, where where companies are coming in thinking, okay, I'm going to put this analytics system in place and it's going to be my transactional system of record. You know, that should have set off red flags, you know, a long time ago, well into the sales process, because that's simply not what these systems are made for, nor should that be the expectation of what they'll perform. Yeah, and I think it, it the question of, well, if if in validation it's it's not going to ever match up, why bother validating? It comes back to the even bigger question of, if my data is not going to be perfect, why bother having data and, and doing analysis on it? Um, not even necessarily because of discrepancies, but just knowing the imperfection of the data. And it is going to be imperfect. You know, you're going to have weird users out there that clear their cookies all the time and you can't tell them from one page to another or uh, the blasted users that still have Safari on Windows machines. I don't know why someone would do that, but that was one of the ones that I had to solve for that, um, you know, we had some users that were uh, not getting tracked correctly and they were on Safari 5.1, I think, which is the last version of Safari to ever be released on a Windows machine. And some folks are still using it. Um, and it interacts with cookies oddly. And that's part of my problem, by the way, is that I, I like the problem solving and the the being, you know, Sherlock Holmes with data that I probably do indulge it too much. And or I, I get defensive, perhaps, or just a lot of folks in the industry. We have to be careful about being defensive about the data. You know, if I'm the implementation consultant, I really want to prove and, and make people understand the value of, of my data, what I set up. So I do get a little bit defensive. Um, and, and want to prove like, nope, see, it wasn't my fault. It was GA's fault or you know whatever it was. Um, but yeah, I, a lot of it is not just setting the expectations that, you know, systems won't match each other, but setting expectations that it's, it's never going to be um, correct. You're going to have really odd data sometimes and weird edge cases and all of that. And I think the best way of doing that is not just explaining um, you know, that there will be differences or even going into the, the rabbit holes of, of each difference and why it exists, but showing what you can still do with imperfect data. Um, because can, A, can I, that, can I that takes a it... <laughs> because it takes it away from the defensiveness. Like, I'm not trying to justify the data that I created. Um, 
and it it takes it away from the well is it you know x percent off or whatever and um reestablishes the focus on what it should be which is analysis so instead of going down the rabbit hole of this is why it's so extremely off or whatever if we turn around and say you know what I can assume that I'm not going to have all of my data, but look at the things I can still do, the assumptions I can still make, um, and and trying to turn the focus back onto what you can do, even if the data is imperfect. Yeah, I, I I love that, and I've I've had that conversation so many times. Um, and this is this is a time where sometimes this is coming up not from the business, not from implementers, but from um, analysts in the digital analytics space where they'll throw their hands up and say, well, I can't do analysis because something broke in the tracking along the way, or this isn't perfect. I'm like, well, damn, you should quit right now because this data is never going to be perfect. That's just the reality. And I, I don't know if this is true of other spaces because this is where we play the most, but I do find it interesting that it, and I don't want to use the word critical because it is important to be critical of the data, but there's this thought that maybe other systems are more perfect and we can make um, we can make proper decisions on that but digital data digital analytics data specifically is imperfect and therefore we can't use it the reality is is that you're, you're right Jen data is imperfect inherently by its nature and it doesn't matter if we're looking at your transactional database or your HR database or your sales catalog or your Adobe analytics data None of those are going to be perfect, um, but it just seems like we put a lot more scrutiny on the the digital data than the others. But maybe that's just because where we're looking. Um, the reality is, is all of that data is going to be dirty to one degree or another. And as analysts, we need to know how to still work with that data. We need to know how to clean that data, and that's that's often been been a big um, frustration on the digital side that I've had is that there's this belief that you shouldn't have to clean data. And that's just not a, a realistic um, attitude. And if you come from another discipline, um, you're expecting to spend 60, 70% of your time, if not more, cleaning and preparing data. Um, we're kind of lucky in that sense in the digital space where we have such strong players um, uh, from a vendor perspective that do a lot of that hard work for us up front. But the downside of it is, is that it's taught us that we don't have to clean and prepare data. And that's just not a reality. And so I think, you know, that has to be part of the discussion is that on the technical side, it's it's our obligation to get the data as perfect as we can get it, knowing it never will be. And on the usage analysis side, we have to go with the flow and continue to refine and work with the technical team to refine and make the data better. But we can't use imperfect data as an excuse that we can't do our job. So there, there has to be forward momentum in, in all things. And that can be incredibly difficult. And again, we've seen companies that have got locked into this analysis paralysis of trying to make things perfect for a year plus, and it's very, very painful to watch that. You have to find that balance where we still move forward knowing we're in an imperfect state and we move forward knowing that we're still gonna make decisions, but we're still going to work to refine the data over time. It's it's a really difficult place to be in. Well, and I think that it uh, highlights the importance of things like testing, because if you know that you are making decisions off of possibly well, certainly imperfect, but possibly really imperfect data, um, then you want to 
make sure that you test all of your hypotheses and all of that, that you you don't just take the data for granted and make a decision based on, off of it and um, move forward without testing it because testing is one way to make up for the fact that your data is imperfect. Uh, and then on kind of the latter point of what you were saying, Jason, I uh, you're right, it's absolutely about finding balance because I've had clients who, who go too far to one side and say, yeah, we know the data is highly imperfect and this is broken and that is broken, but if I use the link tracking report and I segment out these visitors and I like, and, and I understand it because, like I said, I like doing that problem-solving, sleuthing, kind of make it a – treat it like a puzzle to fix. And in the end, I can be like, look, I found the report. I was able to hobble together a report that answers the question you were asking. But it is such a, uh, a, a hobbled, hack-job mess of a report that, yeah, we probably shouldn't use that. And And worse yet is when people say – oh, we don't actually need to fix A, B, and C because I can just use my link tracking report and hobble something together. Um, that happens all too often. And then there's the other side of folks who spend all of their trying time, to, try, time trying to fix the data um, to get it to a point where it, it never will get so that they can do reporting. So it's, it's finding balance between those two ends of reasonably fixing up your data and expecting a certain level of, of quality. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And, and just to kind of hit on what you said and what I was mentioning as well is that it really begs to have a strong partnership between your business analysts and your, your technical team. And, yes. and we don't see this in, in a lot of companies, but where this is in place, it works really, really well. And it really needs to be a kind of a cyclical supporting mechanism where um, up front, you have the business helping define the requirements that the technical team puts in place that then informs the business. This is technically how it works so that as you're doing your analysis, you're not just doing it based on you know, off the wall assumptions, but we're going to actually tell you the, the bits and pieces that you need to know on, you know, what is a visitor? What is it a visit? What does it mean when we track an internal search so that you're making proper decisions? And then as you run into issues with the data, whether it's business logic is, is not aligned, whether it's a true technical bug or problem that you then reach back out to the technical team that refines and it's this continual loop. It's where we see those two groups disconnected, where we see the biggest challenge in this space. And so, you know, that would be one of my biggest recommendations and takeaway from this discussion. If nothing else, obviously, I think the biggest thing that we've talked about is, is setting proper expectations. So that, that would be number one. Um, number two, um, informing from the technical side to the business and the business to the people they're presenting to the nuances of the data is critical. Um, it, but like a close third, or I, I can't even rank them would be develop a really, really strong partnership between your technical implementation team and your business analysis team, because that is going to make a, a world of difference, um, especially in this scenario of comparing metrics, making sure we have clean data, um, being able to make valid, good use of the data that we do have. And if you if you have that relationship and can get rid of the the defensiveness, that helps so it, much. Yeah, it does, and it's it's interesting. I mean, we could probably have a whole other podcast episode on on that alone. Um, you know, whether it's it's tools, whether it's ownership of you know who owns the data, who owns the platform. Um, there there's so much defensiveness going on with with yeah. people like defending their territory, and I. 
I don't quite understand it. Um, and so maybe we have another podcast where we, we dive into that. But, um, you know, ultimately, I, I think that defensiveness is a protection of your your job, your career. But in the end, yeah. that, that tends to backfire. Um, so, yeah. you know, maybe we do a follow up because I think that would be a, a good one. But that is definitely something that, that you have to to take in mind, especially as you're going through this comparing metrics activity is you're going to run into that. And I think, you know, that's something that at least very early on in my career, I didn't understand that analytics was more than just the implementation piece. So I was implementation to to begin with. And um, thankfully, uh, when I moved over to Spark Networks and I thought I knew everything about analytics, I was quickly told that I knew nothing. Um, But that, you know, I thought analytics was just implementation. And then I learned it wasn't. Um, but it's, it's even more than that. It's not just the data. It's not just doing analysis. It's there's, there's people involved. There's, there's, um, there's politics involved. There's organizational pressures involved. And to work in this space, you have to really have an understanding of, of all of those things. So as you're going through comparing metrics, if all you're looking at is we need to compare the tactical pieces of system A to system B, you may get lucky and be successful, but it's usually so much more complicated than that. You know, you, as you mentioned, Jen, there's there's defensiveness in play. There's people's personalities. There's business politics. There's, you know, ownership issues and, and who owns what in play. And you have to be able to evaluate all of those things as you're going through this exercise. That pretty much sums it up. <laughs> Cool. I, I I agree. I think that's probably a good place to kind of tie a tie a bow on it. Jim, any last thoughts on on your side? This has been. Uh, I knew this was going to be a lively discussion. Um, and and again, I think there's probably several offshoots that we can take from this. Um, I would like to see two follow ups to this, and maybe we find some place in the future where we can fit this into our schedule. One would be what we just we just talked about is the you know this whole kind of defensive nature of of the work. Um, but another one would be, I'd really like to explore why really we're still having this conversation so many years into digital mm-hmm. analytics coming on the scene. And not to say that the conversation of making sure the data isn't correct, but the basic conversation of comparing metrics, this at a, at a baseline level, I would think this was something that should have been solved for many, many years ago. So maybe that would make a good follow up as well. I have some thoughts there. I think we've touched on that a bit here and there in in various episodes. Um, But yeah, this is just one item out of many that I've noticed over my time too, that we just continue to go in circles with, and we were, we're constantly coming back and revisiting, but um, no, this was a really fun conversation. I think it's another good one. Um, Yeah. I think we, we hit on, all of the the important points. Um, I had several questions to keep the conversation going, and we 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 just naturally hit them. So that was that was really good. But uh, ultimately, I did like the the, the point about um, the relationship with the tech team because uh, I agree that 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 makes all the difference when you have a good uh, working relationship with them, and you know the, these kinds of situations come up. So other than that, I really have nothing more to add without sounding incredibly redundant. Well, then let's call it. Yep. Wait, wait. I think that we we made it through a whole episode without anyone saying the word tangent. That might be a first. I know. And and Jen, I I, don't think you've done it on purpose. No, but but. I was just going to say it. And I'm glad (laughs) you you brought it up because I was going to say, you know, we, 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 we could have got, we, 
could have gone off on all these tangents, but we didn't. We were really focused here. And I'm like, nope, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> uh, I ruined it. Well, well, we'll keep our streak alive, though. We'll, uh... yes. It's an awesome running game. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All see right. you guys later. Thanks, everyone. Cool. Catch you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at www.33sticks.com. The 33 Tangents podcast is a production of 33 Sticks. <laughs>